Hi, uh, welcome to part three of our series looking at creation, uh, at how we understand God through it and how we might engage with him and it at the same time. We're going to be reading shortly from uh, some verses in Matthew, um, but before we do that, let's pray. Lord God, we know that every good gift is from above and we thank you for all you've given us. Help us to be grateful, help us to live in harmony with everything that you've made. Amen. Okay, we're looking at uh, a verse in Matthew 18 and then a couple of verses in Matthew 19 and then one in Matthew 11 as well. See that you do not despise one of these little ones, for I tell you that their angels in heaven always see the face of my Father in heaven. Then people brought little children to Jesus for him to place his hands on them and pray for them, but the disciples rebuked them. Jesus said, let the little children come to me and do not hinder them for the kingdom of heaven belongs to such as these. When he placed his hands on them, he went on from there. And then at that time, Jesus said, I praise you, Father, Lord of heaven and earth, because you have hidden these things from the wise and learned and revealed them to little children. Finally, I'm going to add a couple of verses from Mark's Gospel in chapter 9. Jesus took a little child whom he placed among them. Taking the child in his arms, he said to them, Whoever welcomes one of these children in my name welcomes me. And whoever welcomes me does not welcome me, but the one who sent me. We've talked before about the way in which we see creation as something we participate in, that we are with it, not in it, and we don't have authority over it, and that we should love it because God loves it and that we might love what he loves to show that we love him. In this section, looking at these passages, it's important for us to recognise not just how Jesus feels about children, but how Jesus wants us to understand how children work and how we can learn from that. Now, there's lots to be understood about the psychology of children in creation, in in their natural uh, environment, in, in a world of nature, if you like. It's no coincidence or surprise that so many school trips take children out of urban settings and put them into more nature-filled ones like the space around me here. Nature is a natural place for children to thrive. It's a natural place for children to develop a sense of wonder and curiosity. It's a natural place for children to connect with each other. There's a kind of openness that develops as children spend time in nature. Now, there's an important thing that's going on here, which is this. We get to understand how God works by understanding how humanity works, because he made us to be how we are. So the more we get a grip on what psychology can tell us about how humanity works, the better we understand what God has given us and why it's good for us. As children engage like that with creation, with wonder, with curiosity, with openness, so we also see that their relationships with other children and with adults improve. If you like, they're having a whole experience of creation rather than just a slice of one. 
Now, I'm going to use a thoroughly unhealthy uh, illustration here. If you present a child with a cake and then you say to them, you can only have this little tiny slice and they'll take the rest of it away, that child's probably going to be disappointed. And if you say to that child, here's a cake, you can have all of it, they're going to be really excited. Their heart will soar and probably so will their mood particularly once they've started having that much sugar. So it's not an entirely healthy illustration, but can you see what I'm getting at? If we only offer children a little slice of the goodness God has given them, they won't, they won't get to enjoy everything they could. And if we make it all available, or as much of it as we can, there will be a joy in that, and a good joy, and a chance to celebrate. As in my head, as I was giving that illustration, I was thinking, of course, of birthday cake, and so I was thinking of Victoria sponge cake with candles on it and a dusting of icing on the top because that's the cake I like. But do you see what I mean? Here we have an understanding of why children's perspectives are so important for us to grasp. Do we long to engage with the goodness God has given us in creation? Or are we happy with just a little slivery slice? Are we content with just a little bit of God? Or do we want the whole of him as he offers? Jesus said, when you approach things like a child does, you actually embrace who I am. When you approach things like a child does, you get to wonder at who I am and what I've given. When you approach like a child, you get unfiltered blessing rather than rationalised or logically placed blessing. There's a, a, a picture hanging in my, uh, in my house in the back room over the fireplace. And it's a, it's a picture that I have because I spoke to the artist when he was not yet finished it and said, I love this. It speaks to me. I think it's beautiful. Uh, can I have a print of it if you make those prints? And the artist said, if you love it and it speaks to you, have all of it. Take it away. Don't just have a print. Have the whole thing. And so I have that painting simply because I, I had a sense of wonder at what it gave me. And so the artist could see that a sliver wasn't enough. I needed the whole thing. That is what God does. He generously gives us everything as long as we can get hold of our childlike wonder enough to know that's what we want and to ask for it. Don't let anyone turn you away from engaging with God's goodness. And when it comes to creation, that means don't let anyone turn you away from embracing and engaging with creation. Embed ourselves deep in it and we will know more of God. We've talked before about how Jesus uses nature to illustrate what God is like and what the kingdom is like. There are no accidents here. This isn't just a handy tool for Jesus. He made it. He knows what it can tell us and he wants to share that with us. But there are other ways to plug into a child's engagement with creation, with nature, and allow it to help shape our understanding of Jesus. When a child really is let off the leash, as it were, to go and engage in nature and explore it, they were very likely to come back messy. There will be mud, there will be 
green stains on trousers and, and sleeves from climbing trees or falling over. There will be lots of being wet. I've just in recent times, I've been in places where I've seen children just wander into a river with their trainers on because they want to get into the river. And it's been interesting to see how parents respond to that. That kind of unmitigated joy in engaging with nature is a messy process and that's got to be all right. If you like, the disciples, as they saw children coming to engage with Jesus, wanted to avoid that mess. Why, why would we make space for something, they said, which might just distract or, or take us away from where we might be or, or get in the way of what we're asking for? And Jesus says, no, there's got to be space for them. In a way, there's got to be space for the mucky, wet messiness. That has to be part of how this is supposed to work. But let's look at a second thing too. Most of us will be less aware of this because of the stuff that we read and listen to and engage with. There's a reality that's important here. Lots of people, lots of young people, so teenagers and, and younger, are really unhappy with what the church is doing to care for the environment. Not only do young people love to get wet and muddy and messy as they engage with creation, they also want it to be protected and looked after. And they see adults totally failing to invest in that. And then they see the church behaving like any other adult would do. And they ask, why are you not investing in this? Why are you not loving what God has given us? Why are you not loving the home that he's given the world? For most of us, I suspect that we feel that we do love those things and that we do want to protect those things but there is a disconnect between our intention and what our young people believe is an appropriate proportionate response to something of this much significance so at the end of each of these sessions we've done that question if we're talking about how jesus wants us to love god and love our neighbor and we put that in creation context so if we're going to love god how do we do that in terms of creation? Well, we've got to hear what Jesus says about children. And we've got to respond to it, I think, in two ways. One is to look for ways to reignite our passion so that it's like a child's passion. To be willing to get so engaged with creation that we understand what it can tell us about God and understand what it can give us because that's what God intended as well. We also have to look at how we encourage children. Their openness, just to go back to where we started, their openness in creation, the way their eyes are widened and their, their sense of awe is heightened. When we see that happening, we've got to encourage it. We've got to take our experience of God and put it in a creation context. We've got to encourage and stimulate our children and then follow their example as they engage with God through his creation. Because he didn't just give it to us as a thing that's nice. He gave it to us as a home. He gave it to us as a thing for us to be responsible for. He gave it to us as a way of understanding him. He gave it to us as a way in which we could connect across the generations with each other as we encounter God. Let's pray. 
Lord, we ask you to renew our sense of wonder. We ask you to renew our childlike appreciation for you and for the creation that you've given us. Would you be with us as we look to take more chances to connect with your creation and take more chances to help our children and young people to see you in how creation works and to follow their passion for all you've given us. Amen. I'm going to hand over to Ruth now. Thank you, Mike. I'm going to start with a few figures and facts for us and some um, information which maybe is a little bit more negative, but as our time goes on, we'll be moving on to what we can do about those things. Since 1970, there has been on average almost a 70% decline in the populations of mammals, birds, fish, reptiles and amphibians. A study found that the UK is one of the world's most nature-depleted countries, with on average about half its biodiversity left, far below a, um, a global average of 75%. That rapid decline, it says, is since the 1970s, so this isn't something that populations in the past have had to deal with in the same way that we are dealing with them now. And it can make us feel quite anxious about what the future is like and make the future not look so bright. One very practical thing that someone pointed out to me once um, when we were talking about this, um, for us to notice the changes, I remember as a child when we'd go on a journey in the summer, that when you got out at the other end, the car would be absolutely plastered with tiny little bugs and insects all over the bonnet, the number plate, the windscreen would be the, the sticky bodies of these insects left. Um, because there were just so many, and especially if you were travelling along the motorway, um, they would all—they'd all be left there. But these days, there really isn't those kind of issues um, because there isn't that biodiversity um, in our country. So the future is not looking so bright. And yet, the Bible often talks to us about future generations. It talks about our children's children. It talks about passing things from generation to generation. And that's obviously um, quite a historical thing, but I'm not sure that in our culture today, we are quite so good at considering the next generation. And maybe our own family, we think about our own children, grandchildren, um, but actually considering what's being left from generation to ge generation, I feel quite challenged. There's a book by a guy called Mac McCartney called The Children's Fire. And he spent time learning with um, indigenous Na uh, Native Americans. And one of the things that they taught him was about the children's fire. And what they did was when they had a meeting of chiefs, they would light a fire in the center and they would keep that fire burning as a reminder of the, the children and making the decisions with them in mind. And the commitment they made was that no law, no action shall be made that harms the children. There was another um, indigenous tribe and they had something called the seventh generation principle. And when they met together, together, every decision they made was in light of seven generations to come. What would this do to seven generations from now? I find that really quite challenging um, to consider seven generations past myself of my own family 
um, let alone the, the state of the world and the decisions that I make that might make a change to that. And I think that one of the things is um, big business. Um, the decisions that are often made are for a quick profit um, and for a quick fix. They're not considering long-term effect other than maybe the profit. And um, so, but I guess if we're not feeling challenged in our own life, then big, big businesses won't either. So how does children feel about this? Um, I mentioned Richard Lee's book, Last Child in the Woods. And he writes in there about something called, which is a, a phrase that he coined, nature deficit disorder. And that's talking about the separation between children and nature that is occurring, particularly in this period of, of nature decline. It's also been a, the same equivalent time that children have been much more removed from the natural world for many reasons. Um, some of that is the fear of strangers, um, the fear of traffic and busyness. Um, children just aren't out to play like they used to be and that's actually having quite a negative effect on so many parts of their life physically um, on obesity but also on the ability to concentrate they're discovering that there's a real connection with time in nature and the ability for children to concentrate also anxiety much more anxiety is found in children these days and also a very big thing is is either um, avoiding risk or taking the wrong kind of risks and actually when children learn things in nature they learn about climbing a tree for example they learn to realize what they can do and what they can't do what's a safe step to take and what isn't and actually without some of that learning children aren't able to make sense of um, decisions later in life so Nature deficit is causing problems with children's emotional <coughs> needs and their physical health. Sorry. Um, but also on their spiritual journey. And we spoke um, of the first week about actually those moments in awe and wonder that are so important on our spiritual journey. And if children aren't outside experiencing that, then that's something lacking in their spiritual journey. Rebecca Nye um, has written a book called Children's Spirituality and she invites us to regard the simple fact of being a child as an inherently spiritual vocation. Often we think children, uh, we need to teach them all the Bible stories and teach them all about God because they don't know it. And that is true, there is much we need to teach the children. But there is much that's also within them from birth of awe and of wonder and yet so often as adults we rush them past. We're not giving them those opportunities to spend time in the natural world um, because often we're in a rush and I know that feeling of, of rushing to school and, and getting the children there and there's many moments of um, awe and wonder missed on the way because we're in a hurry. So actually taking time out with children without an agenda to just spend time in nature is really powerful. But again, we can go with that idea that we can teach them but actually there's so much that they can teach us. Dallas Willard says, hurry is the great enemy of spiritual life in our day. You must ruthlessly eliminate hurry from your life. Those are powerful words, aren't they? So if children have this natural spiritual ability, maybe to awe and to wonder, to stop and to just be. And for many adults, we're really struggling with this hurry in our life, which is 
really not helping our spirituality, then actually the coming together of, of both of us, of adult and child, is actually a really special moment. If we can stop and we can wonder with children, then we've got so much to learn each other, so much we can learn from children. And then there will be things that we can teach them too. And when they're inquisitive and they want to know more, then we can help them find that information too. Stopping and wondering alongside children is a beautiful place to be. Learning to be and not just do, to be slow and simple. Another issue is with our young people. Many of them feel that the church, as Mike said earlier, is not doing enough for the natural world. It's not realising that actually this, this climb is rapid and things are really changing. And actually for them, the future is feeling um, quite anxious. And actually eco-anxiety is something that's found amongst many teenagers. They're very anxious about what the future holds. The news is so full of all the things that are happening that are going to be negative and all the things that we need to change um, and how can we as the church help to ease this anxiety by being part of the answer to these things? So what can we do? What can we make a difference in? What can we leave behind which is much more positive? Last week we looked at some of the smaller changes that we can make. We looked at the things that we can buy and the things that we can support each other to do. Today I want to encourage us to think big. What are the bigger things? When we hear the news, when we hear about biodiversity loss, when we think about the things that we need to change about our energy consumption, these are really big things and we can all do our part in that. But what can we do that's big? What big changes can we be part of? And that's really scary because that's really unknown. And often I always think, that will cost money. But there's so many things I'd love to do. I'd love to have solar panels and things like that, but that costs money. That's a big thing. What can I do? But I just want to encourage us to have those conversations, to see what we can do and, and to pray because we have a God that does provide and enables and he can show us a way to do things. So as you're in your groups, I just would encourage you to have some conversations. God has given us an amazing thing in our imagination and uh, we can dream big dreams and actually that's one of the things that they're discovering with children now is that they spend so much time in the classroom learning academically and not enough time outside that actually their imaginations are being stunted they don't have the imagination to dream and to see things differently so if you imagine being in a world where we're told that things are getting worse and then you're losing the ability to imagine a different world and what a gift to um, the next generation and the generations after that if we can teach them to dream big dreams and we can have the faith to take those steps. So I'm just going to share with you very quickly something that you could look up. And um, Sam, who is one of the home mission churches in Exmouth in Littleham, um, has the WAVE project. And if you look on um, the Southwest Baptist Association Facebook page and probably their website, you can see an update from them. And one of the things that they've done really recently is to build a community garden. And that's really exciting. Have a look and be inspired as to why they've done that and how they think it's going to help their community. So that's quite a big thing. It was actually in quite a small space, but it was a really big thing for them, but a very exciting thing. So encouraging you 
now to just have a chat. What could we do? What could we do for our community? What could we do for our children that will give that connection with nature, but will also make a change long term in how we care for the environment? And as you think about those things, and they maybe feel big and they maybe feel scary, then I would encourage you to pray, but also encourage you to share those. Share them with Mike, share your big dreams, however big and crazy or unreachable you think they might be, share them because where we personally don't have the resources, maybe someone else does, maybe someone knows somebody that does um, and we can pray collectively together. So thank you for your time today but I really encourage you to dream big dreams and ask God to show you visions of where he would lead us as we work together to care for our children and to care for the future. Thank you.